You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's passage is Psalm 3. And again, that's Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, praise team, for leading us this afternoon. It is good to be in the house of the Lord together. And as Jeff alluded to, this is uh, the culmination of so much prayer and planning and all that has gone into this, this move and to be able to worship in this space is particularly sweet. We thank our mover team that has worked so diligently for many, many years to facilitate gospel-centered ministry over at the MIC. And we thank those that... Uh, we're a part of the move on the 21st that hopefully didn't get heat exhaustion in the process, but uh, man, many hands made light work, and we are so thankful for all of you that helped pitch in with that, with that particular move. And uh, we're still going to be kind of continuing to dial things in over time, but it is certainly, it's certainly a blessing to be here, and we are particularly thankful to Emmanuel United Methodist Church, to Pastor Scort, to their leadership for inviting us into this space, for working with us, and we do look forward to partnering in gospel-centered ministry for, for many years to come. We're grateful for this, this season in which we can, we can be in this space. This past week with the events uh, surrounding the overturning of Roe v. Wade, our, our elder team here wanted to think through and pray through how to best shepherd and care for our church as, uh, as we saw that, that news break. And so we, we put this together, and I actually, we're going to be sending this out, I think, in the uh, upcoming, either today, later today or tomorrow, but I um, wanted to share this with all of us as we think through this, this very complicated issue. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg, but with the monumental overturning of Roe v. Wade, we look to the Lord in his wisdom and recognize that all human beings are created uniquely in the image of God and are deserving of full full dignity and honor by virtue of being image bearers. We lament the abortions that have taken place and babies who have not been born and we pray that through this decision more, more lives will indeed be preserved. We also understand that as image bearers, protecting the sanctity of life means all of a person's life, all of life from conception to natural death and everywhere in between. Moving forward, we recognize 
There will likely be very different outcomes among states and regions of the U.S. in the way of abortion laws and views. And we acknowledge that the issue of abortion is complicated and the circumstances of those facing decisions around abortion are often very difficult, quite painful, fraught with a sense of desperation and hopelessness. We also recognize that the Supreme Court ruling will have a disproportionate impact on women of color and vulnerable families. As Christ followers, we desire to have a heart for not only the unborn babies affected by abortion, but also for the mothers and the families who see abortion as their best and only option. There is ongoing, ongoing kingdom work that must continue and only increase that includes helping expecting mothers who are in crisis, showing compassion toward women who have had an abortion along the way, acknowledging and protecting, protecting the sanctity of all life and human dignity, regardless of race, socioeconomic status, or of cultural background, stepping up to adopt and foster children and support adoptive and foster families seeking to improve the conditions and culture that lead to the flourishing of all mothers and families, particularly vulnerable families. And examples of these include things like improvements in health care, in child care, education, living wages, job opportunities, paid leave, and housing. Engaging in the discussion in the public square with grace and empathy. And yes, loving, listening to, and serving those who may hold different views on abortion. We are grateful, too, for the broader family of churches that we belong to in the Evangelical Free Church of America. This, this past week, there was a helpful statement put out by President Complin, and we'll be sending out a link to that particular statement as well. We highly recommend that, as well as some key prayer points that the EFCA put together, calling churches like ours to unite our hearts together in praying. And so we pray as a church that, that the Lord would grant his wisdom and grace for us to speak the truth in, in love and to demonstrate the love of Jesus in lives that are given to his service. I hope when you hear that both proclaiming and practicing God's good gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We recognize that this past week, Lord, in the midst of this, this ruling, we pray, God, that you would use it to preserve lives and that you would help all of those who follow you to continue and to increase the vital kingdom work that lays before us. Lord, this is not work that starts now. This is work that continues and must only increase. And so we pray, Lord, that you would cause us as a church to give ourselves, Lord, to the developing of a culture of life from conception to natural death and everywhere in between. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of this space we pray that this space here at Emmanuel would be used to proclaim and lift high the name of Jesus. He who is our glory. He who is the lifter of our heads. 
And would you use your word this afternoon to comfort the weary, to meet us in our own fears, in our longings, in our desperation, and remind us that salvation belongs to the Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. As Jeff mentioned previously, last Sunday we began our summer series in the Psalms called Anatomy of a Soul. Anatomy of the Soul. And we're reminded about how the Psalms speak to the full range of human emotions and the full range of human experiences. It is a a very real and raw book. You don't have to go very far into the Psalms to be confronted with the fact that a life of faith is not free from pain, that a life of faith is not immune to attack. Psalm 3 does not shy away from the difficulties that we face, difficulties that we might be faced with even now, whether they be related to our our schools or our family, our finances, our church, the work to which God has called us relationships, nor does it shy away from the fears that we face as well, whether fears for the future, fears of what might happen to our children, fear of enemies. Psalm 3 expresses confidence in the midst of chaos. It is an anchor for the soul. It causes us to look to the one who is the shield around us. Our glory and the lifter of our heads. Along with the psalmist, we boldly declare salvation belongs to the Lord. In our time this this evening, that is going to take some getting used to and saying... Um, We're going to explore the title of Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is the first psalm that includes a title. It gives us a fixed point, a reference point in the life of the psalmist in which to hang our hats. Then we're going to explore the four expressions in Psalm 3. And then finally, the gospel according to Psalm 3. I admit, it kind of pains me to say this a little bit, but... uh, By the end of the week and with everything happening this week, this message feels a little bit like a rough draft. (laughs) So coming into the pulpit this afternoon, uh, just to be vulnerable with you in that way, but my prayer is that God would use his word to speak mightily to to our hearts. Psalm 1 and 2 set the stage, as we saw. And then Psalm 3 shows what the end of Psalm 2 looks like practically. That is, blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is what we see David doing. It comes at the beginning of book one of the Psalms. Book one runs from this third, really from Psalm 1 all the way through 41. But this Psalm 3 is really where things begin to ratchet up. Psalm 3 is an individual lament the first of many laments that we will encounter in the Psalms. In fact, the laments, these these minor songs, minor key songs, make up roughly a third of the Psalms, as we will see. As our friend Mark Vrogup reminds us, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. I love that. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. It includes four key elements that you see all over these Psalms of lament. That is, Turn, complain, 
ask and trust, turning to God first and foremost, complaining, that is being real about the struggles that we face, asking God to intervene in the midst of that pain. And almost all of the laments end with almost like a ski jump when it says, yet I will still praise you, my Savior and my God, that element of trust. All four of those elements are found in the psalm, maybe in a different order, but notice them as we go along. What David is lamenting is found in the title, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. There was a particularly painful part in in my life when I was dealing with a a difficult uh, relationship, difficult leader, and my mentor at the time gave me a book, maybe you've read it before, it's called A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. And it talks about how David, almost a character study, how David dealt with both a tyrant king, that is Saul, and a usurping king, that is Absalom. And as I read along, I found myself identifying so much with David. Yes, 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 I'm David. And then he pulls this like, this Yoda-like moment. So sure are you that you are the David and he is the Saul. (laughs) Oh, man. I'll never forget that. But I remember that these lessons also leaping off the page as to Absalom, this usurping king. And if you think back to, and actually I encourage you this week to look at 2 Samuel, really chapters 15 through 18 that includes this entire saga of what happens. This title adds concreteness to what we are looking at here. Situates the psalm in the life of David when he was forced to flee Jerusalem at the hands of his son's attempted coup. If you remember some of that story, Absalom set himself up in the gate, began gaining the ear of passers-by and and, and essentially sowing seeds for how he could do better, stealing the hearts of the people and launched a rebellion in nearby Hebron. And this all happened suddenly and unexpectedly, forcing David to flee Jerusalem with whoever would go with him. He fled down from the capital, crossed the Kidron Valley, went over the Mount of Olives to the desert on the other side, and a couple key details, weeping and barefoot with his head covered, his head bowed down, his head covered in sorrow. Along the way, there's this remarkable scene, too, where he is cursed by Shimei, who was loyal to the house of Saul. This is in 2 Samuel 16, 7 through 8. And those that are with David encourage him to shut this man up, and he refuses. As we'll see, there are a number of parallels with this story in Psalm 3. Well, if in Psalm 2 we see the, the nations rising up, in this international conspiracy against the Lord and his anointed, here it is his own son who does so. At the same time, Psalm 3 is, a, is general enough to allow anyone to locate themselves in the story, and I hope you are able to do that. It is a model for those who find themselves in in a similar situation, fraught with danger, where the odds feel stacked against you, overwhelming odds, 
In Psalm 3, we see how David modeled faith in the midst of threatening circumstances and how we can learn to do likewise. So in turning to Psalm 3 itself, we begin with the first of four expressions, the first being that David expresses pain in the face of overwhelming odds. It begins on a note that we, have become, we will become familiar with in the Psalms, that is the lamenting of oppression. And by beginning with, O oh Lord, David turns to God in the midst of his pain, to the only one who is capable of doing something about his desperate situation. And what follows is a threefold cry against the many, against the many enemies who are multiplying. The first cry includes who the many are, how many are my foes. David feels completely outnumbered, which parallels the growing number of conspirators that are listed in that Second Samuel passage. The second cry includes what they are doing. Many are rising against me. This dangerous escalation echoes Psalm 2, verse 2, the nations rising up against the Lord's anointed. It parallels the description of those who rose up against David in 2 Samuel 18. That word for rising, rising against has to do with feeling constricted, squeezed. Picture like a boa constrictor hunting and coiling around and circling and squeezing its prey. That's how David feels here, constrained, unable to breathe, the hordes of enemies encircling him. And the third cry includes how they're speaking. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The word for soul here means essentially the core of our being, our most deeply held longings and beliefs. Speaking of one's soul means trying to influence them at the deepest level possible. They aim to shake him to the very core by saying that there is no hope for him in God, that God will not deliver him. This word for deliver or save at its core has to do with the making of room. That is the, the freeing of restrictions. Can you picture that in light of what he's describing about feeling constricted. They are taunting him, saying that there is no making of room in God. And this sets up the question, does God save? That is the question of the psalm. Does God save? Well, the word selah at this point, in, at the end of verse two, is a confusing term. It's not quite sure what it means other than perhaps a, a musical note of some sort. It could also be a note to indication a pause in the psalm as well. And so for us, it is an opportunity to reflect on David's difficulties and how they may be similar to the ones that we face. Think about what it can feel like when we're surrounded when it feels like we're facing overwhelming odds. <laughs> For some reason, all I can picture is Han Solo saying, never tell me the odds. I don't know why, but... Think about a time, though, when you felt outnumbered, outgunned, outmatched. You know, not everyone may resonate with the military language of this. 
I do to a little extent, I'm not going to lie, but think about perhaps the hostile climate that you face in your workplace. You could be in a situation where your reputation is under fire. Or maybe even experiencing the cutthroat ways that people try to get ahead, whether they be lying or rumors or bribery, making life miserable. You know, we may not have a son usurp the throne, but you could have a strained relationship. You could have a strained relationship with your own child or a former relationship that is now strained, a betrayal at the hand of someone close to you, an enemy saying something similar to, God will not deliver him, like what David experienced. Think about whatever it is that you are going through, either have gone through or are going through now. It is in the midst of that desperate situation when it feels like there are myriads of forces that are lined up against you when the, when the deck is stacked against you. It is there that God is there to deliver you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Second expression, David expresses confidence in the Lord and his ability to protect him. Verses three and four. This is a key turning point in the psalm when he says, but you, O Lord, it is emphatic, it is a turning his attention from the enemies to God, the lifting of his eyes. And each one of those many's is countered by a title of the Lord, a view of who God is. The first many is countered by saying that God is a shield around me. This continues some of that vivid military imagery and is rooted in the idea of God being a refuge in Psalm 2, verse 12. This is the word, though, for a small, round shield held in one hand to protect not only one's arm, but also their upper torso. But here there is a change in that image, for God is a shield surrounding David. This is no ordinary shield. Where his enemies surrounded him before, now the Lord surrounds him with a 360 shield. The second counter of many is this view of, or this title of the Lord as my glory. This has to do with one's reputation and significance, sometimes translated honor. David affirms that the Lord is the source of his honor in the sight of others. And his honor is derived from his relationship with the Lord, not in his own strength. This is a reminder to us, even on this, on this day, reflecting upon this key imagery in Scripture about the honor that is ours by virtue of being image bearers. All humans have inherent honor and dignity that is conferred by God himself. He is our honor. He is our glory. And yes, the third title, he is the lifter of my head. In contrast to those who rise against him, God lifts his head high. Kind of behind this image would be that of a judge telling an accused that they have been acquitted and they have been released. It is a restoration of his honor to his former position. Psalm 2 spoke to his coronation, that is when his head was lifted high and a crown was placed on his head. 
the Lord restores him. In contrast, lifting one's own head, biblically speaking, means being prideful or arrogant. The Lord is the lifter of our heads. Rather than being silenced or relying on his own strength, David cries out to the Lord. Look at verse four. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. The enemies who used their voices to attack David's trust in God. Instead, here we see David responding with a cry to the one they sought to undermine. He does not use his voice in order to parry those attacks, but to cry out to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy hill. This is an expression of confidence that God answers as he has done in the past, so he will continue to do. It could be translated, whenever I cry aloud, he answers me. It has a, baked into this is a, a, the sense of past, present, and future. When we cry out to the Lord, he answers us from his holy hill. If you think back again to Psalm 2, that image of Mount Zion, David trusts that the Lord who installed him on Mount Zion will answer him from there as well, from his holy hill. And so, church, this is a call for us as well, to turn our attention away from our, our circumstances and on to God. He is the foundation of our confidence, not our own strength. And we, too, need to be reminded afresh of who he is, the shield around us, our glory, the one who lifts up our heads. That is who he is. He is the one that we can cry out to day and night. And we can have confidence knowing that God answers us when we cry out to him. We'll see this as we go throughout the rest of the psalm. This confidence is grounded in the times he has delivered us before. Scripture testifies to his power to do so. But also we need our own remembering to think about the times in which God has come through time and time again. And that is why we need one another in the community of faith to remind each other collectively of what God has done, how he has proven faithful time and time again, to stand in the low points in each other's walls like that image in in Nehemiah. We can become mired in our own experience. We need each other. We need each other. Well, recalling the variety of ways God has helped him in the past allows David to sleep peacefully. And so that's what we see in the third expression. David expresses peace of mind that flows from God's sustaining power and presence. Look at verses five and six. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. David is able to rest well after receiving this assuring word from God. And it is precisely because of God's sustaining power and presence in his life. This verse is also how this psalm came to be known as a mourning psalm, like not M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, but M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Did I spell that right? I hope so. Thank you. Did I get that right? Thumbs up. Okay. (laughs) How this came to be known as a psalm for the morning time. 
And this is what allows him to assert, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Think again to Psalm 2 and the nations and the peoples who opposed the anointed king. And here the many, those thousands, are no longer a source of fear, for God is a shield all around him. There is no reason to fear the enemies who are all around. This this notion of being heavily outnumbered also parallels what we see in 2 Samuel 15. Many of us, I believe, can certainly resonate with minds that go a mile a minute when we're trying to sleep. Have you been there? Lying awake, fears that loom large, trying to sleep. But those who are overcome, we are often overcome by worry and fear. In fact, we, we live in a day and age that is characterized by fear when fear tactics are used in order to cripple us by fear, when conspiracies are used that are based upon fear. Confidence in the protection God provides is not dependent on our present circumstances. It is rooted in who he is. It allows us to rest well knowing that he is in control, that he is the one who is enthroned. And we can go to sleep trusting in the Lord and awaken with the events of the day firmly in his hands. Also remembering that our real enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is Satan. Asking God to reveal the true source of the opposition we face helps us even to better forgive one another, remembering who the true enemy is. And so the fourth expression is this. David expresses hope during his prayerful plea for God to deliver him. While the first call, I call upon the Lord, is found in verse 4, it is here that we're finally given the content of David's prayer. And he says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Here is a call for God to rise up, to deliver him, just as he has done in the past. Using this word save looks back at the taunt that is on the lips of his enemies. David trusts that the enemies are wrong, that God can save him, and places the future completely on God's shoulders. You know, Chicago is known as what? The city of the broad shoulders. There are some much broader shoulders upon which we can rely. He places the future squarely on the Lord's shoulders and uses language similar to Moses in Numbers 10, verse 35. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. It is at this point, though, that we are confronted with the rest of verse 7. We often wonder what to make of words like these. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Particularly in light of New Testament truth that reminds us of loving our enemies. These words can be hard. But I believe what David does is he compares his enemies here to wild beasts. To strike his enemies on the jaw as a metaphor for rebuking and rendering them speechless. In light of what they're saying in verse two that the Lord cannot save, he asks that they be rendered mute, humiliated, unable to speak. 
And break the teeth of the wicked is a metaphor for rendering them harmless. Joel 1.6 describes the wicked as starving lions that seek to maul their prey. And so this is the image of, an image of breaking their death grip in order to save the victim. Notice that David does not actively engage in vengeance or resort to violence himself. Instead, he trusts in the one who will save the victim, who will render his enemies speechless and harmless. He leans into God's character and asks that God would intervene to bring about justice and public vindication. Together, these are more of a cry for freedom than they, all, than they are for a call for vengeance. And so the psalm ends on a final note of confidence and of blessing. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Those words should look familiar to us. We find them in places like Jonah, in Joel, factoring prominently in Revelation as well. This is a repeated refrain in the Psalms and elsewhere in Scripture. Contrary to what his enemies say, God is the author and the originator from salvation from A to Z, from beginning to end. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his design. It is his prerogative. It belongs to him alone. And therefore, your blessing be on your people. David asks that God's blessing would be on all the people that are under his rule. This complements the blessing that is found at the beginning and the end of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And this eventual victory parallels what we see at the end of the saga in 2 Samuel, actually at the very beginning of chapter 19. And so church, a couple of final takeaways for, for us to consider. That is first and foremost, prayer, confident prayer, being reminded of the ways that God has shown his grace in the past and going to the one, the only one who is capable of doing something about our desperate situation. This is what provides assurance for the future. When we are powerless, when we are outmatched, when we are, when we are alone. This should also challenge us to honestly assess our own anger. Instead of seeking vengeance and retribution, that we would pray God would deliver the faithful and establish his perfect justice. This is so difficult when we have been wounded, when we find ourselves encircled by our enemies, when we are feeling like, being, like we are being crushed like a boa constrictor. We have that desire to get even. We have that desire to do reputation damage control <laughs> when we are feeling under attack. But church, salvation belongs to the Lord. Why should lesser dangers cause us to tremble? Like David, we are called to triumph by faith in God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know the gospel is all over the pages of Psalm 3 from beginning to end. From creation, when we see the soul, when, when David uses this expression, my soul, we believe that God has created us, that at the core of our being, our most deeply held longings and beliefs, that the root of who we are, that God is our glory. He has given humankind inherent dignity and worth. And that phrase, because the Lord sustains me, reminds us, should cause us to recall in Colossians 1.17, how in Christ, in him, all things hold together. He is our sustainer. He is our creator and our sustainer. We see heavy elements of the fall 
throughout this psalm as well, from these enemies, not only from Absalom who seeks to usurp the throne, this is a microcosm of what we all have done as human beings. We who were called to rule as his vice regents, representing him in his good world, usurped the throne. That is what, that's at the core of our human rebellion. And yes, we see this picture of the assailing of the Lord's anointed. This assailing of Christ is then what we see in the redemption that he secured for us. Those who rise up against Christ, picture the, the, how it's described in the passion narrative in the Gospels. Think of the mocking he endured. Here, David's enemies say that there is no deliverance, there is no salvation in God. Christ on the cross endured such as, a saying such as, he saved others. Can he not save himself? Picture as 1 Peter 2 describes the trust that Jesus demonstrated as he faced his executioners. 1 Peter 2 says that he he entrusted himself to God, even in the face of that. He walked the path before us, as Hebrews 5 describes. God delivered Jesus from his enemies in his resurrection. And this is what provides the basis for our, our own deliverance, according to Romans 4. Yes, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. Indeed, the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. This psalm looks forward to that day when all will be made right, when God will enact his perfect justice, when the obedience of the nations will be his, and when we will declare surrounding the throne with one heart and one voice from every tongue and tribe and nation on earth, salvation belongs to the Lord. That is what we see in Revelation. In Revelation 7 and in Revelation 19, we will declare salvation belongs to the Lord. It was on another holy hill that Jesus was lifted up. See him there. Arms outstretched in embrace. He who endured such opposition from sinners declares to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you say that with me? Salvation belongs to the Lord. With gusto, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the words of this psalm inspired by your Holy Spirit through your servant David. For the rawness of it, for the emotions behind it, and for how he turned to you in the midst of his pain and his longings and his fears, we pray, God, that you would cause us as a church to do likewise. in the midst of our own challenges, in the midst of our broken relationships, in the midst of the fears that we face, Lord, would we turn to you. Cause us, Lord, to be real and honest about the struggles that we face. 
knowing that you hear. We do not have to whitewash our prayers before we can come to you. You know, you see, and you love us all the greater still. Father, give us the boldness to ask freely of you. We thank you for those that have modeled this in your word, reminding us to come boldly before the throne of grace, asking for help in our time of need. And yes, Lord, our trust is in you. At the end of the day, our confidence is in you, in who you are, in what you have done to rescue a people, to pour out your salvation, and to invite us into the work that you are doing of extending this good news to the ends of the earth. We love you, Lord. We thank you that salvation ultimately is yours. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.